Please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Let's pray together. Triune God, we bow our hearts to you in prayer, a prayer of confession, a prayer of submission, Lord, a prayer of dependence. Holy Father, by the finished work of your Son and the ongoing work of your Spirit, use the truth of your word to remake us and to reshape us and to reform us according to your own perfect character and your own perfect plan. Accomplish this in us by your grace and for your glory. Amen. Okay, we're in a section of Acts where the church is learning that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God on earth, is not for Jews only, but for everyone who believes. It's an extremely critical point to the overall narrative of Acts, and it's an immensely crucial lesson for the church to learn, and it's immediately applicable to our own lives and situations today. We've been learning the lesson with Peter that in order for us to be the messengers of the gospel that Jesus desires for us to be, we must learn to see ourselves and see others as God sees. When we see others as God sees, we're persuaded to put aside ethnic prejudice and associate with people who are different from us in order to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So Peter has been persuaded by God to see differently, and he goes to Cornelius' household in Caesarea. Cornelius has gathered his friends and family to hear Peter, and Cornelius says, we, so now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to say to us. In other words, Peter, what's the message from God? To those of us gathered here this morning, what is the message from God that you need to know and believe? What is the message from God that the Lord commands us to share with others? Read with me in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 43. We're going to focus on 36 to 43, but I'm going to back up to 34 to put it in its context. Just kind of a remind you where you are if you've been with us these last weeks. Verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who, have been, who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This section of text answers some life-altering questions. What is the gospel that we must believe? What is the gospel that we must take to the nations? And it leaves you still with, with these questions. Are you clear and convinced that the gospel is for you and for all who believe? And are you captivated by Jesus? Does he hold your love and attention above all other things? Are you captivated by Jesus? The way Peter summarizes the gospel carries the weight of God confirming that Jesus is Lord of all. Notice from the preceding context that Cornelius' household already feared God. They believed in God and knew that he was worthy of worship, and they evidently believed in their need for God to save and forgive them. So in Peter's summary, his emphasis is on Jesus in particular being the answer to that need for Jew and Gentile alike. I want to prove three points from the text to persuade you to be clear and convinced and captivated by the good news that Jesus is Lord of all. The first one is that Jesus is Lord of all is the gospel. Look at, again at verses 36 and 37. 36 says, As for the word, the message God sent to Israel, this message proclaims good news of peace through Jesus Christ. What kind of peace is intended here? Just emotions of peace, feelings of peace, not fighting? Is that what's intended? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. Because God declares us righteous by faith, justified for all who believe. The kind of peace we're talking about here that comes through Jesus Christ is being made right with God, to have peace with God. The word God sent to Israel is reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. Was this always the good news God intended? And was it always for the whole world? Peter reviewed in Acts chapter 3, verse 25, in a message that he was speaking to Jews in the temple, he, he reviewed the covenant and promise to Abraham, from whom all of Israel descended, that in Abraham's offspring, in Abraham's seed, all the families of the earth would be blessed. So backing up all the way to there, we see that was God's intention. Peter's point that he made there is that this offspring is Jesus. Jesus himself then commanded his apostles that all of his followers must make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19. And rounding it off is the evidence from the last book of the Bible in Revelation that such was the plan and that such a plan will be accomplished. Revelation 5, 9, in Revelation 5, 9, the Lord Jesus is worshiped in song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This has always been God's plan, 
to bless people of, of the entire world. And what I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I don't like this or what, but in most of your English translations here, it says, he is Lord of all in this explanation and puts it in a parenthesis. Well, I was an English teacher and oftentimes a parenthesis is a note of explanation, but it's not usually the emphasis note of explanation. And so the New King James, if any of you have that here, instead it has a dash and then he is Lord of all, dash. Right? In other words, the fulfillment of this explanation of the message, the message is Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ comes peace with God, reconciliation with God. He is Lord of all. And everything that follows now, I'm going to show you, is God's confirmation that Jesus is Lord of all. But before we do that in verse 38, I want you to note also in verse 37 this. Peter, Peter can say to Cornelius' household, the word you know. He can summarize, and probably Luke, Peter summarizes, probably Luke summarizes even more the message that Peter gave that day to Cornelius' household. But Peter summarizes, and he can make the primary point, primary point, excuse me, because these people know the details about the ministry of Jesus and even his death because news of it had spread beyond Judea into the surrounding regions. And here, here the term Judea is almost certainly meant to mean not just the specific region of Judea, but it also encompasses Galilee and such. So there's probably a reference to this, this area around Israel of Palestine. What was new news to them was proof of the resurrected Jesus to these witnesses. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll come to that. Peter's summary of the gospel and Luke's retelling of it could essentially serve as a summary of one of the New Testament gospels. There's even mention in verse 37 of the preparatory ministry of John the Baptist, which was a baptism message of repent and purify yourselves for the coming Messiah. I want you to note in your mind, I said you could think of this as, as a summary of one of the gospels. Note in your minds that Mark's gospel begins specifically, and, and Mark is based on the authority and teaching of, of the apostle Peter, we believe, and Mark launches straight into his gospel at the baptism of John. You could use this verses 38 and following, or 37 and following as an outline of Mark's gospel. Again, as we come to verses 38 and following, I'm I'm going to argue that Peter summarizes the gospel in this instance. We can talk about the gospel in different ways, right? In this instance, Peter summarizes the gospel like this. This is God confirming Jesus is Lord of all. First of all, God confirmed that Jesus is Lord of all when he announced Jesus as the anointed Messiah by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when Jesus came, uh, John is baptizing people who are sinners and they know they're sinners and they need to repent. And Jesus chooses to be baptized here because it was the plan of God, not because he needed to repent of sin, but, he, but because God was identifying him, anointing him with the Spirit, identifying him for the beginning of his public ministry. This is, this is the Messiah. And what does God the Father say from heaven as the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove? He says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. 
And speaking of this verse and this passage, I want you to notice the Trinity. We have passages like this, and, and we, when we combine them with passages like John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. And you get a few verses down, and you finally figure out the word, the light, the life is Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And you look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and following. Who is supreme over everyone? Who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, and the Great Commission, Matthew 18, verse 19, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, putting all three persons of the Godhead on the same level. We end up with pretty clear Trinitarian theology. So we, as we continue talking about Jesus being Lord of all, you'll notice that clearly calling Jesus Lord of all is the way that Jews would have spoken about God. Who is Lord of all? Who would Jews have said is Lord of all? Yahweh, Jehovah. Jesus is Lord of all. Secondly, God confirmed that Jesus is Lord of all through, this, through his ministry that proved his authority and power over nature and suffering and evil. So we have Jesus being anointed as Messiah with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And in that power, he has authority over nature. Even the wind and the waves obey him. He has authority over sicknesses. He has authority over spiritual forces. Doesn't it make sense to us that once uh, Jesus' public ministry had been announced, once Satan and his demons, uh, the, the one-third of fallen angels who are, who are working with the devil to still try to usurp the glory of God or to do anything they can to taint the glory of God, surely by now Satan knows that he's losing, but he's not going to stop trying. And you can, you can imagine that during the ministry of Jesus Christ, Satan made special effort in this time and in this place when he discovered, because Satan's not omniscient, Satan's not omnipotent, Satan's not omnipresent, and neither are his demons. So that should also be a comfort to you. I was comforting my kids with that this week as we were talking about the spiritual forces at work, and I, I reminded them, yes, they're real, and yes, they're more powerful than us, but yes, they're limited, and God is not. But you can imagine that in Jerusalem and in the, the, the region in which Jesus was doing all of these things, there would have been a unique amount of spiritual activity. Why did Jesus encounter so many people for which he could cast out demons? And it demonstrated his power over nature and suffering and evil for which we are deeply grateful. He is Lord of all. As Peter continues, he says that Jesus' disciples were personal witnesses of God confirming Jesus as Lord. That's verse 39. They got to be witnesses of all these things that were happening. Peter 
was there following Jesus as this took place. And so when, when Peter is, when Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And there were several confused replies about who Jesus is. Well, people are saying things like this, that maybe you're a prophet like Elijah or Moses. Well, Jesus is a prophet, but more than a prophet. And so Peter answers for the disciples, and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, in Matthew 16, 16. And what does Thomas say, who gets a bad reputation for being the doubter? Thomas just wasn't there the first time Jesus appeared to the the inner circle, the disciples. He wasn't there. And so later, Jesus appears to them again, and Thomas is there this time. And Jesus says, touch my hands, touch my side, see and believe. And, And how does Thomas reply? My Lord and my God. John chapter 20, verse 28. The disciples became witnesses that God confirmed Jesus as Lord. And then also in the second half of verse 39, we see the sad truth about us. The depth of human depravity was confirmed when the leaders of God's chosen people crucified the Messiah. This isn't to pick on the Jews. You know, we talk about the fact that Adam and Eve sinned, and we might be tempted to blame original sin on them and same kinds of conversations we have with our young people. You would be so much better and so much different, right? You would never have caused such a problem. Well, certainly once Adam has sinned and we're all born with a sin nature, this is not uniquely a Jewish problem, but what was unique for the Jews is that they, got, they were chosen by God, not because of their greatness or their purity or their uh, strength or their number, but because God chose them. They were supposed to represent God to the world. And God kept proving his faithfulness in their unfaithfulness. And God would always do what he said. But when the Jewish religious leaders killed the Messiah, they proved just how depraved we are. See, it's our sin that put Jesus on the cross. And this truth extends, as we said, to all of us. Romans 3, 9 through 12 says, What then, the Apostle Paul writes, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that both, that all, both Jews and Greeks up to this point, he has shown that both Jews and Gentiles alike are guilty of sin. And so now he summarizes, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. The depth of our depravity was confirmed when the leaders of God's chosen people crucified the Messiah. Let's continue with God's confirmation that Jesus is Lord of all as God fulfilled his plan of sacrificial atonement. And by raising him from the dead and by the resurrection appearances to his disciples in verse 30, in the second half of 39 and into verse 41. 
Notice in 39, it says, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Well, this tree is a reference to to Old Testament theme about cursed is the one who dies on a tree. Paul, Paul, Paul relates back to this again in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, when he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So this is a reference to Jesus being, him taking sin upon himself, becoming a curse for us, under the law for us, taking the punishment of God, his perfection under the law, he became a curse for us. So it's an atoning, substitutionary atonement for our sin, dying on a tree. But God raised him from the dead. He references that inclusive on the third day, part of Friday, all of Saturday, part of Sunday. Jesus rose again. And then he appeared to his disciples, God confirming that Jesus is Lord of all, fulfilling his plan. And Jesus' disciples were God's chosen witnesses, we see in in verse 41 and 42, chosen witnesses to the resurrection. And they were commanded to proclaim this good news and testify that Jesus is Lord of all. Not everybody was chosen to be witnesses. God, or Jesus didn't appear to everybody. Jesus appeared, apparently, Jesus appeared to his disciples who had believed in him, those he appeared to after the resurrection. The believers got to see the resurrected Lord. And Peter explains that we know he was resurrected with a real body because he ate and he drank with us. Spirits or ghosts don't do that. So we have confirmation of the resurrected Lord. We were chosen to be his witnesses. Remember, Cornelius is listening intently. Cornelius had to be corrected. No, wait, don't worship me. I'm just Peter. I'm a man just like you. Let me tell you who is Lord of all. Let me tell you who you should worship. I was there when God confirmed the power and authority of Jesus Christ. Some of us were around when Jesus was crucified. And we were there when Jesus rose again. He appeared to us. We know he's alive and ascended and coming again. That's what Cornelius' household is listening to. He is Lord of all. And so in, in the second half of verse 42, God confirmed that Jesus is Lord of all by appointing Jesus as judge of the living and the dead. Again, do you know what you should hear? If you want to hear like a Jew would hear, you're listening to something like he is Lord of all, and you're hearing as the Jews would hear, you're hearing they would refer to God as Lord of all. Who alone is the judge of the living and the dead? All people, all times, all persuasions, who is judge of the living and the dead? God himself. Jesus is Lord of all. God proved that his son came to live on earth and be perfect in ways that we could never be perfect, to fulfill the scriptures which we get to next. And he has been appointed because of what he accomplished and rose again, and he is seated at the right hand of majesty on high. He will be the judge of the living and the dead. How are you trying to determine how God views you. Remember, we're talking about all of this in the context of how God sees us. 
When you think about how does God view me, what do you think? If you would understand the God of majesty and the God of glory and the God of perfect justice and the God of perfect mercy and the God of perfect love, the God who is perfect in his character in every way at all times, the God who will always be good, the God who always has a perfect plan, when you understand him like that, you no longer think of him as a big, strong tyrant in the sky or the big guy upstairs. Oh no, you now think of him as a God who is to be feared. But not only a God who is to be feared, but a God who is to be revered. When you see the goodness of God, you see him as a God who is to be loved. You see him as a God who is to be trusted. Whom else could you trust? You can't trust yourself. You can't trust other men. We've just seen the Jews had been given the law. They crucified the Messiah. You can't trust you. You can't tr- we, can't, we can't trust one another. We trust in God. But then you start to view, when you see God like that, in his perfection, in his goodness, and then you begin to understand your own sin. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Now I see me in my place. And God has put Jesus in his rightful place. And he offers you restoration to him through Jesus Christ, the judge of the living and the dead. When you stand before Jesus someday at the final judgment, you cannot go, well, I think I was better than that guy. I mean, many of you can say you're better than this guy, but that's no help to you because this guy on his own is going to hell. You have to be perfectly right with God. And that's not something we could ever accomplish. We need Jesus to be Lord of all. We need his sacrificial atonement. We need his righteousness. The great exchange, the greatest exchange you'll ever hear of is to trade your sin for his righteousness. And now when God looks at you, because you have trusted only in Christ to save you, when he looks at you, he doesn't see what you deserve. He sees the righteousness of his own son. This is my child. Because I'm well pleased with my son, I accept this child. This child is mine, justified by faith in Christ alone. We see in verse 43, two more of these confirmations. God confirmed that Jesus is Lord of all by by his fulfillment of scriptural prophecy. Now, Peter says it like, all, all, that Jesus is present in all prophecy. <laughs> now, what Peter means by that, I believe, is, well, you know, if you go back to the Old Testament, um, I think it's an exaggeration for us to say Jesus on every page. I get what they mean, but it's hard to draw a straight line directly to Jesus on every single part of the Old Testament. However, the entire thrust or movement of the Old Testament is supposed to lead us to where, the Apostle Paul says. To Christ, that's what the law was for. Or all of the prophets then, Peter says, all of them lead this direction to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And secondly, in that verse, now I stop using past tense and say this to you, just as God 
just as it was for Cornelius and his household, God confirms that Jesus is Lord of all by forgiving the sins of those who believe in him for salvation. God confirms that Jesus is Lord of all because through Jesus Christ, God forgives the sin of those who believe in him. Again, is that how you understand yourself? Have you been forgiven? Because Jesus is Lord of all. Before we finish this morning, I want to show you there are two more points that that flow out of this context or right in verse 43 that require that we apply Jesus is Lord of all to our lives. That Jesus is Lord of all persuades us to put aside ethnic prejudice and to proclaim the gospel to everyone. The thrust or, or purpose of Peter's summary of the gospel is this. Since Jesus is Lord of all, not, not only over the Jews, but of the whole world, then his salvation as Lord of all who offers forgiveness also extends to all. Such is the point then of verse 43 in the entire surrounding context. And so too, when we look back at verses 34 and 35, Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God shows no partiality is the entire point of this broader passage of Acts 10 through eleven eighteen, 18. And it's the primary lesson taught here that Peter needed to learn for the sake of the church. Since we... If you've been with us the last two weeks, and if you'll be with us next week, we've already had two messages on that theme, another one coming next week. I won't belabor it any further now. Next time when we meet together, we're going to see that God confirms the salvation of the Gentiles by a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And what God has confirmed, the church must affirm in chapter 11. But I will mention again about verse 35, something that I want to make clear once more. Verse 35 is not about personally meriting favor or salvation. That cannot be. And this word for acceptance does not mean justification. There are different words for justification that are used in the New Testament. This word is is not that. What we see is that Christ's work saves, not our own. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 4 verse 5, and to the one who does not work to try to earn his or merit his salvation, but believes in him who justifies, who declares righteous, the people who are ungodly, which is all of us, then his faith is counted as righteousness. Instead, then, the emphasis is that people from every nation, any ethnos, have equal opportunity to fear God and do what is right and acceptable to him. But even if that's true, that we have equal opportunity to fear God and do what is acceptable to him. There is only one way to be made perfectly and permanently right with God. Peter said in Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What other religion can make you right with God? None. In fact, can any religion make you right with God? Or do you have to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? 
43b, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins in his name. Therefore, that Jesus is Lord of all is good news for you and for all who believe. Good news for all includes you. Good news for all includes those who are different from you and distant from God. The irony here is that Peter has learned more fully what his own words meant when he was describing earlier that salvation is for everyone. Romans 10, 12, Paul says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. So what is the gospel that you must believe? That Jesus is Lord of all. What is the gospel that we must take to the nations? That Jesus is Lord of all. Christian, I'm going to ask you this morning, because I told you, clear, convinced, but also captivated. Are we to think of the gospel as the message that we must believe in salvation, for, for salvation, and then that's all? Is the gospel just for you to understand and think about and believe one time in order to be saved? Or is the gospel message that Jesus is Lord of all the truth we live by? You see, the gospel is transformative. The gospel changes you and takes you from death to life, takes you from the standing of enemy with God, and puts you in the standing of grace. That same gospel is what continues to transform us. So too, believers, I want you to notice a few other things that I listed, and I'm sure that you could list more. The gospel answers our doubt and disillusionment. It causes us to understand our our purpose. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives us meaning. What is humanity? Why are we here? Why am I here? The gospel answers our doubt and disillusionment as human beings and gives us an answer. The gospel handles our discouragement and despair. The gospel gives us a bigger perspective When I'm suffering or I'm experiencing a trial, I now think, I now try to view that suffering through the lens of my Savior who suffered for me to make me right with God. I measure the extent of that suffering by the suffering of a God who was willing to give his own son. And the anguish and the separation and the the sin that Jesus is taking upon himself, the Father and and the Spirit and the Son dealing with that anguish of sin. I now have an eternal perspective on discouragement and even temptation to despair. So too, the gospel is our pattern, our direction. Jesus was telling his disciples, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was saying that in the context of telling them, you don't behave like the Gentiles and lord it over one another. No, you be the chief servants of one another. The gospel is also our pattern to sacrificially love others, to not be self-focused, but to be others-focused. And the gospel is our motivation. 
Do you need motivation to do some things well? Do you ever feel like you're just kind of trying to get something over with? I'm just trying to get this over with. I just need to finish the semester. I'm just trying to survive. But if we're able to consider doing things for the glory of God, because Christ has made us his own, we have a different motivation to do things well, with effort and energy and excellence. Are you older and now need motivation to finish well? The gospel is your motivation to finish well. He is Lord of all. The gospel crushes our love of sin and our trust in self. Jesus died for the kinds of sins that I act like don't matter when I recommit them and recommit them and recommit them. And don't behave like I'm genuinely repentant. And don't take steps to, to run from them and to, get, and to have accountability with fellow believers because I'm not taking it seriously enough. But when I remember that Christ died for this sin, I hate it and I want no part of it. The gospel crushes your trust in yourself because of so many things that we spoke about this morning. Don't go back to trusting in yourself when you have Lord of all to abide in, his spirit dwelling in you. The gospel gives us courage, the indwelling spirit, Christ in us. Are you like me? A bit cowardly sometimes. The thing you should have said, you didn't say. The thing you shouldn't have said, you said. The gospel gives us courage because Jesus had courage to say, not my will, but yours be done. And finally, the gospel gives us hope Gospel gives us safety, assurance, rest. Whatever you're experiencing in your life, whatever you think you're going through, whatever you think your own insufficiency and weakness, whatever you think about yourself, remember this, I belong to God. I am his, he is mine. That's what the gospel tells you. And so the gospel gives us hope. I don't know when, I know not how, but I know to whom I go and I know where I'll be. Does not, that not give you hope? God is waiting for you saying, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be too. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the Apostle Paul will say, hey, to die, gain. <laughs> if I should stick around, if God wants me to stick around, I'll do it so that I can still be a benefit to you. But I'd rather go to heaven. The gospel gives us such great hope. Through him, Jesus Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's Romans 5, 2. Romans 15, 13. So may the God of hope 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Jesus is Lord of all. Are you clear about the gospel? Are you convinced? And I'm asking you, believers, are you captivated? What holds your attention? What sways your heart? What do you run after? What do you pursue? Is it Jesus? He's our highest and best aim. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are glorious and good. You are all-powerful. You are all-wonderful. And yet you also are all-loving. You have been so good to give us Jesus Christ. As God, he is Lord of all, but because of your perfect plan and what he accomplished, you offer Jesus to be our Lord so that we can be right with you, so that we can have this assurance, this hope, this conviction, this certainty, all of these things, God. Now having spiritual life and knowing why we exist and given reason to live in the days ahead. All the while knowing that we do all of these things to please you and that you have already assured our final glorification. Teach us to fear you and love you and trust you more so that our obedience overflows from that love and trust and fear. May we know you as you truly are. Amen.